This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hello, I'm Anthony Fury. Thanks for joining us for the latest episode of Full Comment. Please consider subscribing if you haven't done so already. Will Pierre Polyev beat Justin Trudeau and become the next Prime Minister of Canada? Let's be honest, that's the main question that everyone who follows politics is talking about right now. And everyone has their answer. Yes, Trudeau is toast. He's a goner imminently. No, 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 Pierre, he's an extremist. Canadians won't vote for him. It ain't gonna fly. And of course, every other opinion in between. And let's unpack that big question right now for sure. But let's also talk about some of the other questions behind it. Like, can the momentum that Polyev's currently enjoying be sustained between now and an election? What's the deal with reports of all these new young people flocking to the party? Is that the real deal? That's quite something. Oh, and will Polyev do the classic thing and soften up between now and then, run liberal light? Maybe he'll run on bringing in a third carbon tax eventually. I don't know. Let's talk about all of it. And one of the people in Canada best positioned to talk about what's really going on right now is Michael Diamond, who is the founder of Upstream Strategy Group and a conservative campaign veteran, including working as campaign director for Doug Ford's leadership win. Michael Diamond, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me today. Great to have you on, sir. That Polyev victory, definitely not a shocker, but I guess one of the shockers was how how broad it was, how, how big of a victory it was. And, and it wasn't just the percentage, which is obviously astronomical. Over 70% of the raw vote uh, went his way, which is even more than Stephen Harper got against Tony Clement and Belinda Stronach when he founded the party, and, and, and uh, close to 69% of the points because the votes allocated. But it was the number of ridings he won. He's won, won every, he won all but eight ridings. He won every riding west of Ontario. He won all but two in Ontario and all but six in Quebec. And he won absolutely everywhere else. So it wasn't just how big it was uh, in terms of the raw number and the points that that translated to, but regionally it was spread out nearly even, well, evenly and, and in diverse regions of the country. You know, I'll never forget covering the Justin Trudeau 2013 leadership race. And he took it with like, you know, much more than that, a crazy percentage of it, but it wasn't really a contested election. I, I think there was, I think Mark Garneau was involved on the final ballot, Martha Hall Findlay, but it, it wasn't huge campaigns. People pretty much just let Trudeau have it. One of the things interesting about this one was it, it was contested. I mean, Jean Charest, serious guy, former premier, mm -hmm. you know, a number of people out there who were really, you know, in it to win it. Less than Lewis had placed at one point in the last leadership race, I guess she was second in the popular vote on one of the First ballots. In the popular vote. Right. That First was it. Yes. Yes, exactly. She, she joined us recently for an episode and, and, and drove that point home. So she's a very popular person. Jean Charest has has quite the resume. So it's interesting that Pierre did well, even facing serious contenders. Oh, absolutely. But when Trudeau ran, actually, Garneau, who was the chief opponent, got out before a single vote was cast. So he had, you know, uh, has-beens like Martha Hall families and, frankly, a cast of Never Was and Joyce Marie, who I think came in second, uh, who was a little-known uh, member of uh, Parliament from uh, uh, British Columbia. So, you know, he had really a clear field uh, in different roles. So Pierre facing, yes, Jean Charest, a man who'd been elected Premier of Quebec uh, three times, a man who was leader of a national political party, a man who 
uh, came out of, you know, from uh, a junior cabinet position uh, to uh, nearly defeat the party establishment's uh, preferred candidate, as ridiculous as that now is going to sound, uh, uh, looking back at our history in, in Kim Campbell. Uh, so, you know, Jean Chere is a man who knows how to campaign. He's a great, great, great orator. And, and, and I think, you know, uh, really came in high. And then you also had uh, Patrick Brown, who is well known for his organizational chops. He obviously didn't make the final ballot, but, uh, you know, uh, none of that was uh, a, a competition for uh, Pierre's unique brand and, you know, his secret sauce, which I think isn't all that secret, uh, if you look, look at it closely, uh, of politics, which uh, pushed him to this, you know, massive, massive, massive one. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because when I think of previous leadership races that I've watched in Canada, I remember the Michael Ignatieff, Bob Ray leadership race. It was it was considered like the biggest event in Canadian political history ever. And I remember like these 10 page spreads in the Globe and Mail and all these essays. And I don't want to say it was all for naught. I don't know if that's a fair phrase to say, but none of those guys became prime minister, you know, spilled a lot of ink, spent a lot of money. Nothing kind of came of it. And we have these moments where there's there's big moments but then in hindsight, you're like, well, what was that all for? And of course, we had that for arguably the past two conservative leadership races, Andrew Scheer and O'Toole being victors. Do you feel that is possible right now? Or as so many people are saying, this time, things feel different? I think Pierre Polyev's uh, quite well positioned to be a prime minister. I frankly think, you know, uh, I, I was sort of surprised last election. I thought uh, the Conservatives were in a better uh, position to uh, take out Justin Trudeau uh, as well. So, you know, elections are funny things and uh, they can happen. But, uh, uh, you know, Pierre Polyev, I think, has a very different approach to politics than any leader we've really seen in Canada in, in recent times. So that is, uh, you'll see politicians often fighting yesterday's battle. And I don't know if it's that, uh, you know, they and their establishment are upset that they lost an election on an issue and they really want to rectify that, and, you know, uh, correct the history on that issue. But they're, they're, they're missing the zeitgeist. I think Pierre Polyev, better than any politician in this country currently, gets the zeitgeist. And he's been doing that for years. So if you go through uh, his writing association, uh, the Conservative Electoral District Association's financial records for it used to be Nepean Carlton and now it's just Carlton because uh, the writing's changed. He's been there uh, since he uh, first was elected. Uh, One thing you'll notice is over time, most of these writing associations was an incumbent MP. You know, they raise money locally. You know, it's, uh, you know, they have a fundraiser. People give the money. Members give the money at the end of the year. Peers are different. Peers have a cross Canada. You go through those postal codes and you see uh, addresses everywhere from Prince Edward Island to British Columbia and everywhere in between. And that's because he's had this appeal of talking about the issues of today and proposing a conservative solution. So Andrew Scheer, I think, you know, who, who I, I was quite excited about his candidacy for prime minister, I think he focused on issues of yesterday. And, uh, you know, it almost worked. He, he, he reduced Stephen Harper to a minority. Uh, and, uh, sorry, he reduced uh, Justin Trudeau to a minority. And he won the popular vote that not that that's how elections are chosen in this country but it was it was monumental uh and, and with Aaron O'Toole I think you know where he actually lost some of the ground that uh, Mr. Shear made up he was scared to be proudly conservative and a robust conservative and, and, and you know I think conservatives can win when they offer uh, to grab a phrase from uh, uh Barry Goldwater uh or about Barry Goldwater a echo uh 
a choice, not an echo. And I think the great thing about Pierre Polyev is he's not looking at yesterday's issues. He's looking at today's issues. And he always has been. He's been talking about inflation. He's been talking about uh, uh, the price of uh, groceries. He's been talking about the absolute disaster that are passport offices in this country. He's talking about the issues of today. And then he's proposing conservative solutions for them. So it's going to be there, you know, there's obviously going to be uh, dozens of ways to tackle a given issue. There's going to be a conservative approach and a liberal approach. And, you know, Justin Trudeau is going to take the liberal or worse approach uh, to, a, to a given issue. So that means that, you know, we have free reign to propose the conservative, sensible solution. And that's why he does so well. That's why he was getting the crowds out, because he's proposing, you know, the gatekeepers. We all we all we all we all get that it makes sense you know it's the gatekeepers who are keeping the very convenient toronto island airport uh from being an option to uh augment uh pearson international airport is the only major airport in in the toronto region uh, why has pierre talked about that issue i kind of find it odd that he ceased on that issue of all the issues he's talked about I, look, I actually think it's a perfect encapsulation of these uh, th- these gatekeepers who are keeping the rest of us from having the services and the product and the low taxes. And, you know, to grab a phrase that's apparently offensive now, the freedom that we all need and deserve. Oh, no, no, none of those words here, please. None of those words here. I, can, I, I'm still, I don't think I'm regulated by the broadcasting standard. I don't know how that works. Maybe they will. That's the whole point of those Trudeau censorship laws. So I, I got well, to be, be careful here. A new gatekeeper. You know, exactly. they're, they're going to put a gatekeeper after you, Anthony. But uh, but but in, in, in the meantime, what we have is, you know, Pierre probably just talked about these issues and there's dozens of them in every region of the country and downtown Toronto, where there's certainly a lot of ridings uh, in the conservative leadership. It makes sense. But also for the rest of the country where they're literally I have friends who don't live here who are scared, not scared, but just like like very adverse to traveling to Toronto right now because they want to avoid the catastrophe that they see every day at Pearson International Airport. We had a proposal for another airport in Toronto, a very convenient one that would have uh, augmented uh, Pearson's capacity issues, which was not related to COVID. It's related to growth and uh, further demand in 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 in, in, in travel, uh, both right. uh, cargo and, and, and uh, personal. And uh, you know, the Canadians are saying that across the country that he's talking about a solution for Pearson. He's talking about a solution for passport offices. He's talking about getting these gatekeepers out of the way who just, frankly, make everything worse uh, and cost us more money. So, you know, it's a good conservative solution that uh, be it uh, from uh, uh, making, you know, municipalities be more cooperative in uh, allowing oh, okay, so let those me, who seek to build homes. Oh, okay. Let, let, let me ask, though, these issues, where are they? 12 months, 18 months, two years, three years from now, when there is an election and when the just don't call it a coalition coalition crumbles between the NDP and liberals and we find ourselves in an election, what, what's, what's the atmosphere going to be like then? I don't know. I, you know, I wonder, well, is, are the mortgages going to roll do. over then and everyone's, you know, going to be losing their houses or are things going to be doing better? None of, none of us know. You know, I mean, I certainly hope that uh, the Canadian economy stabilizes uh, as soon as possible. So if that doesn't require an election, that doesn't require, uh, uh, you know, it doesn't require an election. I mean, you know, that's good for, for everyone, obviously. But the beauty about Pierre's approach to politics is it doesn't matter what the issues are today because he's focusing on the issues of the day. He has his pulse on the, squarely on the zeitgeist. So he's nimble enough that he can continue to take this approach uh, to politics of focusing on 
on these issues, not be baked in on, you know, a carbon tax saving plan or have, you know, a platform that's, uh, you know, uh, you know, squarely, to, you know, uh, largely developed well before an election and it's baked in because, you know, we've decided, you know, that's how we've done politics in the past. He's taking a different approach. So he'll be able to be nimble enough to focus on those issues tomorrow. So hopefully it's not uh, foreclosures. If it's foreclosures, that will be his issue. Yeah, people are losing their houses. If it's, if it's that, uh, you know, uh, you know we, we, we have, uh, you know, whatever the issue of the day is, if Pearson's still a mess, it will be that. But if it's not, you know, there's dozens of issues that he can attack with the conservative solutions. So I think that's what he's been really so strong and good at is focusing on the issues of today instead of the issues he wants to focus on. He's not focusing on his pet projects. I don't think Peter Polyev woke up and said, you know, those passport offices, I really dislike them personally. You know, it's like he saw that it was causing chaos for people across the country or ditto for Billy Bishop Airport or ditto for... Well, let me ask you about pet projects, though, because I think they also speak to long-term vision. There's the issues of the day and then there's the, you know, the Canada I want to build, the nation, the vision that I want to get people behind. One thing that really gets the crowds excited, and and I know we know this predates Pierre Polyev's bid, is smack talk in the CBC to any degree, defunding, eliminating... It was interesting that Aaron O'Toole said, I'm going to pretty much eliminate the CBC. And then he got watered down, watered down. And then eventually it was just like, okay, Justin Trudeau is going to give them whatever, a gazillion billion more. I'll just give them slightly less more kind of thing. It, it almost felt like it got to that point. Pierre Polyev being very aggressive talking about CBC. Is this the kind of thing that stays as like a core principle and and they spend the next couple of years working up to the election or whenever it is talking about how can we actually execute this? What are we going to propose and that kind of stuff? Oh, absolutely. And I think it's that, you know, um, the arguments to perform or abolish or defund the CBC are all highly reasonable if you're bold enough and brave enough to communicate them. And I think that's where we got into trouble last time. Uh, The CPC, that is. I don't see Pierre falling into that trap. You know, he's not a man who's scared to say what he thinks. He's very concise. He's very articulate. He's very bold, which is, you know, just what, what we need here. So, I mean, I, I, I am quite confident, you know, I've not spoken to him about this, uh, you know, but I, I'm quite confident, you know, you're not going to see the U-turn because, you know, he's in it. Uh, for for these values. And sometimes those values will intersect with what the issues of the day are. They always can. That's the beauty. Like, but I've been know, told conservative solutions can always always, always touch the issues of the day. But these other issues I do think are going to remain, he'll remain true to himself and to our base. I've had the experience many times where I've said, what's with this, you know, Aaron O'Toole carbon tax or whatever, something that didn't, didn't strike me as genuine. And then someone wants to come to argue me or whisper in my ear, oh, no, no, you've got to understand, we're just doing this and that. And there's always that reminder. Remember, you can't actually do the things that you want to do in government. You can't form government until you win. And this is just the pathway to win. And I've always felt like, I don't know if it is the pathway to win, being a fraud and sort of misleading people. I'm I'm going to campaign as a liberal. And then when I get in, I'll magically govern as a conservative, even though you don't have the mandate to, because it's not what you campaigned on. I mean, those arguments are going to come to the fore. Surely someone at the table is going to say, all right, Mr. Polyev, you know, I've run these numbers, these charts and everything. There's no way you can win unless you promise, you know, this thing, this liberal thing. And and Michael, I take it you're saying, well, no, they're just they're not going to do that this time. Well, 
It's also not true. Look, look at the results last time where, uh, you know, uh, where, where the campaign uh, made a decision. You know, I remember one uh, media article about how the whole strategy was to, you know, we're going to trigger uh, we're going to trigger some policy decisions that will cost us vote in Alberta. And then we'll, like, you know, we'll we'll subtract them in Alberta and then we'll just magically add them into Ontario. And that that grand, beautiful uh, so-called visionary strategy, all it did was it accomplished the goal of costing us votes in Alberta. And with it, it also cost the CPC two seats uh we didn't make up ground in ontario like they thought so there's like not not only is it is it wrong it's just strategically ain't gonna ain't gonna work i mean you know uh 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 the worst thing Pierre could do is do something that damages the authenticity that drives them. So, so I think they're going to be very smart about that. And I think they're going to be very protective of that because it's, it's a key uh, selling feature uh, for him. It's why, you know, like I got to tell you, uh, since he won, I've received one Insta. I was there on Saturday night at the uh, Shaw Center in Ottawa when he won. And I posted a photo on my Instagram story of uh, his uh, victory speech. And I heard from one uh, long time, a conservative fellow who I uh, know and worked on a campaign with him before uh, who said, well, I guess I'm going to vote liberal for the first time ever. Cool. I've also heard from probably eight or nine folks who I know but have never been overly political who are genuinely excited about having a different approach to politics, a, a, a choice, not an echo for a change. So I actually think that it is that differentiation with the Liberal Party. It is that differentiation with uh, uh, Justin Trudeau between, you know, the phony, the phony, uh, the phony actor who has a, a, a preference for very racist costumes and Pierre Polyev, who, uh, you know, uh, uh, might not have uh, might be a bit rough around the edges for some's take uh but uh what you see is what you get and he'll say what he means it means what he says all right let's pick up on that though justin Trudeau, the racist costumes because when i i look through my twitter feed of people who are leftists or centrists or i don't know what they are one of the big criticisms and this is not the first time this has been leveled against a conservative candidate you know pretty typical that okay justin Trudeau, whatever he's done pierre polyev he's the, he's the extremist He's the, the white extremist. They throw all those words in oh. and they're not given any examples, but they're throwing them in. They clearly believe it and they're clearly shopping that around and it's making its way into some newspaper columns and commentary in a non-libelous way. They choose their words carefully. Is that something that's going to stick somehow? I, look, I, look, I don't think it will. I mean, number one, uh, you know, uh, there's, just, there's, no, there's no truth to it. So for, a, for, for an accusation to be credible, it has to be based and uh, what folks uh, what folks uh, believe, and it's just not credible. It's also the same scare tactic that they've tried before. So, you know, I think about, you know, um, uh, anyone who actually knows me will be shocked to hear me use a sports analogy, but, you know, you're playing hockey and uh, you, you get to uh, the, the net, uh, which I always thought was called the buckets until recently, and, you know, you hook right and you, you fake right and you shoot left. And you do that a couple of times and, you know, you can't keep that trick up. The goalie is going to recognize it. And uh, the voters will also recognize these lies. So they did with Stephen Harper after the, you know, character assassination against Stockwell Day in 2000 and the character assassination against Stephen Harper in 2004. By 2006, folks are like, this is this is nonsense. Yeah. This is nonsense. And, you know, uh, I think it's the same thing. The liberal playbook with Sheer and with O'Toole just won't work because it was so fully uh, full of, you know, malarkey that uh, uh, folks are going to wise up. And, and, you know, it, it's interesting. The narrative about Patrick Brown was that he was the person who almost had a lock on bringing diverse voices, diverse persons 
into the party. That's what he would bring in this leadership race. I remember I was on a, a CBC television debate panel talking about this. And I said, I think people have overplayed that with Patrick Brown to a degree and then underplayed the fact that it seems that phenomenon has played out with Pierre. Look, I mean, look, if you look at the right, Pierre did incredibly well in some of the diverse ridings in the country uh, in urban centers in uh, the GTA, Scarborough. He won every riding in Scarborough, which is uh, heavily diverse, every riding in Peel region. Uh, Patrick Brown's uh, current hometown of Brampton uh, won every riding there. He, 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 he won ridings in you know, suburban Winnipeg, suburban Edmonton, suburban Calgary that are heavily diverse. So he certainly had support from uh, a diverse uh, section of members, not just geographically, but uh, 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 speaking from you know, religious and other backgrounds, uh, which is it, 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 it is fantastic. I mean, look, uh, Patrick Brown is a legendary organizer and a hustler, and that's how he went from being a, a fairly unknown member of parliament to leader of the PC party in Ontario before uh, you know the drama that occurred uh, that relieved him of that uh, position. Uh, but uh, that, that said, you know, Pierre still sold the substantially more memberships than uh, the vaunted organizer, Patrick Brown. Mm. Uh, so he, he must know what he is doing. We'll be back with more full comment in just a moment. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. All right. Speaking of selling new memberships, bring new people into the party, uh, talking about young people being interested in the Pierre Polyev campaign, to what degree do you feel that's substantiated? T tell me the numbers, the data behind all of that. Well, you know, I, I actually don't know. And one thing uh, what that is, you know, it is for me, it's anecdotal because, right. uh, you know, uh, the Conservative Party candidate does not have a youth wing. So there's not a uh, mm. uh, designation on your membership form that, you know, I am a youth member paying a youth rate. So, you know, I actually don't know what the breakdown of youth members is. So but anecdotally, right. you, know, you look at look at the crowds you was getting, you know, these were not your typical folks showing up in an Andrew Shear rally or, you know, the folks showing up at Jean Charest, you know, Tim Hortons uh, meet and greets, uh, you know, uh, with gray hair. These were young parents parents, young professionals, in many cases, students who were excited again about having that choice, not an echo. And, and so, I mean, anecdotally speaking, you know, uh, absolutely, uh, you know, soft, you know, if you look at, uh, you know, just like, again, uh, personally, you know, folks I heard from throughout the campaign uh, who, who are, are, are on the younger end of the spectrum, who were excited about something political when they'd never shown interest in politics before uh, was quite, uh, you know, quite, uh, uh, quite, quite impressive. No, certainly. And, you know, what does that say that young people are getting involved right now? And obviously the party's going to hope to capitalize on that and continue it. It reminds me a little bit about the Trudeau mania stuff that happened in the 2015 election. Slight, yeah. You know, slightly different things going on there. But I also feel like one of the big changes is that Trudeau's like an older guy now. He doesn't seem quite cool. It seems like you know, it's like an older demographic now who are most fiercely fighting for him. And Pierre has a bit of the energy of being the hip young guy. 
Oh, exactly. I mean, one, I mean, the, the, the age difference is, uh, is on that side, but also it's hard to be the, the voice of change that the future is looking for when you have been the status quo through three elections. So there's overexposure, there's disappointment, you know, uh, a lot of that 2015, a lot of people uh, think it was uh, chalked up. I think there was a whole lot of reasons it was, but I mean, one of the reasons it was such excitement amongst youth and the corresponding increase in voter turnout, uh, you know, a lot of folks uh, credit to the cannabis legalization. Well, he did that. Like, what have you done for me lately, bud? And, uh, you know, you have Pierre talking about, you know, uh, if, if, like, I, I personally don't know of, like, I don't know anyone uh, in my circles who were moved to votes because of cannabis uh, legalization. I've heard of folks, and I'm sure there are. Uh, but, you know, uh, if, if anyone was willing to vote over that, you got to think uh, folks living at home still or uh, paying rent for a place that's way too small and that uh, are fearful they'll never be able to afford a house will be a bit more inclined to uh, be excited in voting for the guy talking about uh, uh, home ownership and affordability uh, for the first time in a very long time. Well, it is interesting that you know, Justin Trudeau has kind of become the politician of no in terms of all this killjoy stuff where it's like, no, you can't get on a plane unless you have your fourth booster dose. No, you got to be fired if you misgender someone. I know he doesn't have those policies, but he gives off that vibe of being that guy or, you know, oh, we're going to stick it to you with the whatever, the fourth carbon tax, whatever he's bringing in. And it's really like, this guy really just wants to tell you what to do, tell you how to live, tell you, no, you can't do that. And that's, that's both him and his policies and the people who he's kind of surrounding himself with and the people who are attracted to him. And it's like, ah, you guys are kind of such downers. Like they're just, I don't know, they're not cool these days. Well, and look, I mean, you know, it's similar to the last Ontario election we had, where you had Doug Ford proposing a bunch of stuff, and like catnip, the uh, NDP and Liberals said, no, no, no. And, you know, folks, we've all had a really hard time through the last couple of years. Some of us much worse than others, you know, I'm, I'm, quite, I'm quite lucky personally, but a lot of us, we've all suffered through one way or the other, being anxiety, distance, uh, 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 illness, job loss, etc. So we've all gone through this terrible thing, both together and individually. And um, in the last election in Ontario, you have one guy saying, yes, 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 let's do this, let's do that, proposing. And then you have the other guy just with the negative tone of opposing. And I think that's what you'll also see with Pierre. And I think one thing he just in his uh, speech on Saturday night that the uh, conservative just hit the ball out of the Park, there is a second sports reference from me in uh, probably a 10 minute span. That was a really uh, easy sports reference. I will say, I'm not going to give you marks for that one. <laughs> and hit the ball out of the park on uh, that Canadians don't need a government to tell them, don't want a government to tell them how to live their lives. They want a government that can run a passport off. And, you know, just such a you know, beautiful, uh, uh, stinging insult on the incompetence that we're seeing in Ottawa. I mean, it was, I think, just a great line and very, very true to where folks' heads are right now. Well, Michael, question for you then. Where is conservatism in general heading in Canada, the English-speaking world, the Western world? Because I know you're a great student of, of American politics, American conservatism, a great history buff. What are you seeing going on kind of generally right now when it's whether it's Pierre Polyev or anybody else talking about the elites, talking about the gatekeepers? I mean, there's there's momentum behind all of that. What does it mean? Where's it going? Look, it's disruption and it's disruption from the status quo, which is exciting. So, you know, in Ontario, the press conservative party won a massive reelection with a uh, for, for that party, a very atypical uh, electoral coalition and a very atypical voter uh, voter pool uh, by you know talking 
about things like you know uh, dignity and uh, rights for for workers, which I think is actually a good uh, conservative value. And there might be folks who disagree with that, but I think you know they're not looking where politics is going. So you know it's the age of disruption in the conservative part in the cons- in conservative movements, and, and in some places that can be quite bad. You know, I am personally not you know not a fan of the uh, former president of the United States who seems to have uh, hijacked uh, the Republican Party, which certainly had flaws and problems that needed to be addressed. But if you look what uh, you know, what what the progressive conservatives have done in uh, Ontario, other conservative parties in Canada that have managed to win, uh, atypically, you know, uh, Tim Houston and the conservative progressive conservative party of Nova Scotia winning an election on health care, which used to be uh, you know something that conservatives were scared to talk about because there was no votes for them there. It's uh, the age of disruption in in conservatism, and I think you know with Pierre, that's going to mean uh, a re uh, a recommitment to conservative values. Uh, with uh, a very smart political strategy of uh, uh, contextualizing it to uh, issues uh, that are facing the electorate today, not four years ago. One of the big attacks against conservative leaders, rightly or wrongly, is always an attempt to create a secret agenda, usually a hidden SOCON agenda. I think Justin Trudeau and others were very giddy about the Roe versus Wade thing down south of the border because then they could fundraise off it, fearmonger, it's going to happen here. And, you know, Stephen Harper had the secret agenda and he didn't even bring it in during the majority. So, so secret that I guess he didn't even know about it. Uh, they did the same stuff with Andrew Scheer. Couldn't really do it with Aaron O'Toole. Uh, and now with Pierre, uh, something that they're amplifying a fair bit at the end of his speeches, he's really making it clear, doesn't matter who you love. That's the thing he's saying a lot. And doesn't matter whether your name is. And then he says names that are, are clearly persons of, of, of different background and heritage. So he's not overly emphasizing, hamming up the way Trudeau is like, hey, did you hear I'm a feminist? Did you hear I'm a feminist? Let me talk about it nonstop. You know, oh my God, guys, it's getting creepy kind of thing. But Pierre's still putting those pieces there for people. Yeah, look, I mean, I, I think that, uh, uh, you know, and I will take, uh, you know, there, there's been different types of hidden agendas that have been uh, uh, levied against conservatives. So Stephen Harper had the whole host of it, and Andrew Scheer had it on some social conservative issues. And Aaron O'Toole definitely, I think, had it on uh, firearms issues. Mm-hmm. And uh, he fed right into that with some of the flip-flops. You know, if you if you revise your platform uh, when it's out, uh, it obviously uh it, it will be cause for concern. I think Pierre benefits from being so concise and so clear on these various issues that there's, you know, it, it will be very hard to brand him as something he he's not because he's been so bold at being branded at what he is. Hmm. Uh, and, you know, he joined us on this podcast earlier this year, uh, I guess the day he announced his, his leadership run. And I think his very first line on the podcast was, I support the truckers. And this was during the convoy. It was like, wow, you know, you don't have to beat around the bush. I'm not doing that follow up. Okay, but what's the actual position? Because they're given the talking points. I mean, there was a lot of clarity there and he made it clear where he stood on that issue. Exactly. And you know what? You can uh, you can disagree with him, uh, but you know where he stands. And I think, you know, there's a lot of folks who appreciate that. You know, I remember um, working on a campaign here in Ontario in 2000 and uh 2007 and uh, Dalton McGinty was uh, when he was reelected for the first time. But we had uh, uh, a fellow come into the campaign office to take a sign. They said he's not a conservative, but uh, he misses Harris. So he's going to vote for it because he misses Harris because you know he put a plan out. It was written exactly what he would do, and then he went ahead and did it. And he misses that. And uh, you know, uh, you know, the the uh, distrust between government and the electorate is very concerning because you know you have you have all these politicians lecturing about you know uh, the loss of trust between our public institutions when they break when they break 
their word time and again. You see, Justin Trudeau, uh, you know, there's a commit. There hasn't been a commitment. He hasn't been willing to walk back, and he lectures us on uh, loss of faith in public institutions. Like, you know, like find a better spokesperson, fellow. Uh, but but if you look at politicians who actually go out and they're clear, you know, Rob Ford was a very clear uh, politician. He went Absolutely. out, said what he'd do. He went and did. You know, and it didn't matter if you like him or not, unless you were living under a rock in Toronto, you knew what he stood for, why he was doing it, and what he believed and what he did. Uh, you know, Mike Harris is another great example, and I think we'll see Pierre uh, uh, be much more like that, which is great because, you know, even for those who don't like what he does, uh, the restoration of trust, if we believe trust in public institutions is important, like Justin Trudeau rec- uh, lectures us that we should, uh, politicians who keep their word seems to me to be a very good starting point. One of the leadership races I reflect on a lot is one that that wasn't, that never followed through, which was the Kevin O'Leary conservative leadership race. And as you know, polling had showed that he would have won the race likely on the first ballot with a majority. And the general election polling showed that he stood a pretty darn good chance of becoming prime minister as well. Uh, Who knows what would have happened in the interim. But then I guess one of the reported reasons why he bowed out was it finally dawned on him that, oh, I become leader and then I sit at Stornoway for like two years, kind of twiddling my thumbs. That's not who I am. That's not the life that I lead, acknowledging that those are almost like two lost years in the hinterlands. On that note, let's say Pierre Polyev has to wait 18 months at least. What happens in that time? Because workaday politics, which he knows well, he's been an MP for many years. What do they do? Do they just, do they keep going at this intensity level? Uh, you know, writing the headlines, as you said, seizing on all the issues. Do they lay low? Because we all know that, you know, what really matters is just that, that whatever it is, five-week election period time. What would you recommend? What do you anticipate? Oh, look, I think, you know, he's going to need more than that five-week election time. You know, the party, for example, you know, there's, I think, some uh, basic uh, political infrastructure that needs to be needs to be rebuilt, and uh, they are going to get it, go ahead, and they're going to hopefully have the time to do that, which I think the last leader, to, in his fair, to fairness to him, did not have uh, did not have the runway he needed because of that snap election. Uh, so, you know, there's some very basic fundamentals about modernizing the Conservative Party of Canada, which I think they're going to uh, want to, they should want to look at, uh, uh, I I think that, you know, Pierre, well, I, I, I believe operate nearly at the same intensity that he currently is because, you know, every day that he's out on an issue, every day that the uh, voter pool for him grows and the list of identified uh, uh, likely uh, supporters during an election grows. And those are all important opportunities that I do not believe he will uh, waste or squander. Work, work ethic is not an issue with this guy. Uh, so I think that's all important. And I think you do raise an interesting point about, you know, if one of the reasons O'Leary pulled out was that, you know, why do I want to run to be leader of the opposition? It's a great point. You know, folks often ask me why, you know, in the, in, in, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, New York City, you got a guy like Michael Bloomberg run for mayor. And, you know, if you look at Illinois, they have uh, one of the uh, uh, CEOs, one of the family members of uh, the founders of the Hyatt Hotel uh, uh, chain, uh, who is their current governor and, you know, ran to be governor. And, and, and why don't we get folks like that in Canada? It's because, you know, in, 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 in those offices, you know, you run, you win, you have your job, you lose your back and your wonderful life. I mean, in Canada, uh, one of the worst jobs... Uh, uh, that I can imagine is being leader of the opposition. You know, you have, 
have. You, you, you're fighting every day. You have limited power. The government's trying to embarrass you each and every way. Uh, caucus management is a nightmare because you're not in government. Nobody's happy. You don't have real perks to give to people. Uh, so it is a tough tough job. Uh, I understand why folks from outside of politics don't want it. Luckily, you know, I think Pierre's going to be very well equipped to do the job well, but hopefully uh, for his, uh, you know, his sake and ours, it's uh, for a very short time that he's doing that job. Michael Diamond, really interesting conversation. We really appreciate your analysis. Thank you for stopping by, sir. Thanks for having me. Full Comment is a Post Media Podcast. I'm Anthony Fury. This episode was produced by Andre Pru with theme music by Bryce Hall. Kevin Libin is the executive producer. You can subscribe to Full Comment on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, and Amazon Music. You can listen through the app or your Alexa-enabled devices. You can help us by giving us a rating or a review and by telling your friends about us. Thanks for listening.